The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good, good. It's good to see you. It's always good to be together in the house of the Lord. We're continuing our study of 1 Corinthians, and today we come to chapter 11, and we'll be looking at verses 17 through 34, and the topic is the Lord's Supper, and so it's a great day to have the Lord's Supper together. But as we think about the Lord's Supper, what's the difference between coffee and donuts in there and the Lord's Supper in here? Other than that tastes really good and this not so much. Or another thing to think about is I think the way that we do our members meetings and uh, we used to do Lord's Supper kind of as a part of our members meetings and our for those of you who don't know, our members meetings are like a, a, an awesome potluck meal. Everybody brings some good home-cooked food, and uh, we line it out there. We've got dessert table going along that wall. We've got lemonade and water along this wall. You go through line, get your food, and you come around, and we all just sit and have a great family fellowship together, uh, and it's a really cool time. And as a part of that meal, towards the end, we would usually uh, partake in the Lord's Supper together. So imagine if you were at that, Lord, at that, that gathering... And a crew of you comes in, and just to kind of set the table, set the scene, kind of what was going on in Corinth, imagine uh, our, our beverage table was not just lemonade and water, it was a little more of adult beverage going on. And a crew of you came in, and instead of gathering like we do, and waiting on each other, and asking the Lord's blessing, and then doing it as a church family, imagine uh, a, a, about eight or ten people came in, and they're kind of think they run the place and they don't wait. They go straight to the dessert table and get the best dessert off the dessert table. Now, I've seen some of y'all do that, so there's no judgment here, but I am saying in this imaginary illustration, uh, you come straight in, get the dessert that you want, so you don't want anyone else to get that, and then you go through line, you don't wait, and everybody's just kind of like, well, what's going on there? And they go ahead and just pile their plates high, making sure they get what they deserve before the food runs out, and they come and they go sit over at a table by themselves over there and they're partaking too much of the Lord's Supper wine. And they've just turned it into this little party going on over there. And then here's the rest of us coming in and, and just feeling excluded and feeling like, what's going on? And that's exactly the scene that's going on in Corinthians as Paul writes. Now, Paul's been addressing issue after issue and today, as we get to chapter 11, we're going to see that that's kind of what was going on in the church. Their Lord's Supper was much more a part of an agape feast, and it's modeled after we'll see that Jesus instructed, Jesus had a supper gathering with his intimate disciples right before he went to the cross. And so Jesus had a food gathering, and he had the bread, and he had the the, the cup, and he said, this is going to be a way for you to remember me and the meaning of, of, the, of my death on the cross. And, and what we see today is Paul says, what you're doing in, in your Lord's Supper gathering, it's, it's not good. It's, in fact, it's, it's harmful for you. And, and so he's going to talk about what they're doing wrong. We're going to see what it looks like for them to take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And then, in response, Paul's going to give instructions on how to take the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. And so that's what I pray the Lord gives us great understanding and the, the incredible richness and the meaning and significance of the Lord's Supper. 
and that we would be a people who, who do it in a worthy manner for the good of the body and the glory of God. So let me ask the Lord to help us this morning. Lord, would you help us understand the, the incredibly rich meaning and significance of the Lord's Supper and uh, help us to learn how to take it in a worthy manner that will not only be a blessing and an upbuilding of the body of Christ, but also that will bring great glory to your name as we celebrate and are united around the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we ask for your help this morning. Pray your spirit will search our hearts and instruct us and give us faith to embrace the truths of your word. Help us to confess what needs to be confessed. Help us to repent where we need to repent. And help us to take steps of obedience. It's in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. All right, so what was the unworthy manner in which they were going about the Lord's Supper? Well, it begins in verse 17. He says, but in following, in the following instructions, I do not commend you. That's, that's just basically saying, if you'll remember last week, he began his instructions or he began the passage saying, I commend you for passing on the traditions. And now he's saying, but as it comes to the Lord's Supper, I've got no condemnation, com- commendation for you. I only have condemnation for you because... What you, he says, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. Let's just stop there. So what is Paul implying about the nature of the gathering of the body of Christ? Paul is implying that there is great benefit and great edification and sanctification and blessing that is, that is a part of being together of the body of Christ. When we come together, it's not just an individualism. It's not just a collection of individuals that just come in, uh, hear some good music, and hopefully hear a good message, and then go home. That there is a corporate body experience that is supposed to happen. The scriptures is filled with instructions of the importance of gathering of the body. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but so much more you should assemble together, so much more as you see the day of the Lord approaching, that we are blessed when we gather together. Equip the saints when we come together. Equip the saints for the work of service. There's, there's an equipping, there's a blessing, there's an edification, a building up that takes place in the body of Christ when we come together. And it is a very important part of each one of our individual spiritual development. It, it, it's not just something we can do. I got Christ, I got saved, and, I, and I'm just going to do my Christian life by myself out on my own. The Bible has a whole different design. God's design includes one another's. Go home and get a Bible software, go online and go to Bible Gateway and just type the word one another's and see how many texts there are that that describe the one another is the natural normative experience of Christians. A person outside the body of Christ, a Christian who is not connected to the body of Christ is a foreign concept in the scriptures. That's not the norm. The norm is that a person who is in Christ, everyone who is in Christ, and I love the union language being hidden in Christ by faith, there is only one Christ, and so there is a uniting of those who are in Christ in the body of Christ. And this is the normative experience, not the exception. This is how God designed us to be able to endure to the end, waiting for his return. 
how we will continue to be faithful is when we build each other up in the body of Christ and the gathering is significant. And so implied in his concern is that this gathering for the betterment of his people, he says, shockingly, the way you are gathering is not for the better, but for the worse. When you get together and behave the way you're getting together, behave the way you are when you gather, he says, this is not for, your, for better, but for worse. So when we come together and we partake of the Lord's Supper, our prayer is that it, it encourages your faith. It produces greater faith. It strengthens your faith. It, it causes you to be able to press on another day, another week, another month, month as we await the Lord's return. And in this gathering, we celebrate, we, we magnify, we reveal the oneness that each one of us individually share in Christ. In a couple of verses ago, in chapter 10, verse 16 through 17, Paul spoke about the, the Lord's Supper and, and how one body is broken into many pieces of bread for the body of Christ. He says the cup... He's going through the Lord's Supper with them. He's saying the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not participation in the body of Christ? And then he says, and the bread, if you imagine sitting at a dinner table and we all had one, one loaf of bread that was passed around, if you could get over the germs of that in modern day knowledge, right? If we just passed one loaf of bread around and each one of us took off a piece of the bread, the symbolism would be much more clearly presented that there is one Christ and each one of us by faith hath participated in that one Christ. Same thing with the, with the cup. One cup poured into smaller cups that each one of us, when we take of that cup, are saying that by faith I participate in the one Christ. And he, he says, the bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of one bread. What we need to understand is there is an inextricable link between the gospel the church, and the Lord's Supper. It, it, the Lord's Supper is not supposed to just be thrown out there, any gathering, that it is a privilege, a blessing of the, of the body of Christ. The gospel that we by faith are declared righteous only by the sacrificial body and blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only way we have made, been made right with God. I like the union language. We are united with Christ by faith. So we get credit for his righteousness and he takes on the cross our sin. He gives us forgiveness. And so now our new standing is in Christ. And if each one of us individually by faith are hidden in Christ, we are then made into the new body of Christ. And so the language is so rich. The body of Christ in the New Testament is called the church. The church is called the body of Christ. Christ ascended to the Father. And so what's left on earth as the representation of Christ, it's not just individuals, it's but when the manifold, variegated nature of us, of all colors and all different backgrounds, when we're brought into unity in Christ, we display the glory of God. In a unique way, 
when all the barriers have been broken down and we are brought together because the Christ in me greets the Christ in you and transcends all things that would normally and naturally separate us. And that displays God's glory in a profound way. And then that is pictured in the Lord's Supper. It's a picture of that. Now, we're very careful as a Protestant church to say that it's not literally becoming the body and blood of Christ. It symbolizes it. But what I want to do is just remind you, let's not push too far. This is not just a merely human picture. There is a spiritual experience when two or three gather together. There I am in the midst of them, God says. That the grace of God is dispensed through faith in Christ. And when the people of God gather in faith, filled with the Spirit of God, this edifies you, spiritually strengthens you in ways that I can't fully explain, but deeper than and more than just a practical, physical object lesson. It's more than just an object lesson. It is a spiritual transaction when the Spirit of God takes your faith in Him and strengthens it, and He emboldens it. And you see the person next to you, and you're encouraged by that. And when they sing together, and they, you hear their voices, it encourages you and strengthens you, and the Spirit is doing a work on your soul when you gather. He says, this is a big deal. This is a blessing. This is for your betterment. He says, but when you come together to the church at Corinth, it's not for your betterment. It's to your detriment. And he says, it's a tragedy. And so I want us today to stop and and see what a big deal and what a big blessing this is. Number one, to be able to gather as the body of Christ and to participate in the Lord's Supper. That though it's symbolic, it's Very vitally important, and it's a privilege. So in Corinth, they were doing the opposite. They were having some problems. In verse 18, we see what was going on. He says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. And we'll get into just a little bit what that scene looked like. He says, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Let's pause and just think about that statement that the Lord's Supper has a way of testing and proving and revealing that which is genuine. What does that mean? That means that the one aspect of the role of the Lord's Supper is to create a clear picture and clear line between those who are genuinely trusting in Christ and those who are not. And that's a that's a... Scary concept in our society. How dare you say that someone's not genuine? Well, the Lord's design is that this is a gift that helps us discern the genuineness of our own faith. Now, primarily, it should be you examining your own heart and the genuineness of your own proclamation that I am a Christian. There is, though, also, in addition to you personally, there is a role of the church body clearly defining what does it mean to be in Christ, holding each other accountable to that, and 
blessing with the gift of the privilege of being in the Lord's Supper or withholding the privilege of participating in the Lord's Supper when someone has been uh, clearly demonstrating in their life that they're not walking with Jesus. That's called fencing the table. This is the Lord's Supper table, and the idea is we don't just carelessly dispense it. We see this as a gift for the body of Christ, and one aspect of it is it reveals, it's confrontational. It's kind of like an altar call. It says, hey, before you leave this place, think seriously about what you're saying. You're saying that you are, excuse me, you're saying that you are trusting in Christ. You're saying your righteousness is based solely in the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. If you're counting on anything else as for salvation, that's not the gospel. Or, hey, you're claiming that, but your life is not consistent with that. Because for someone who is united with Christ, that means they are united with the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God changes their posture, changes their attitude toward clearly revealed sin in God's Word. So if you find in your life or in a friend's life or in a spouse's wife a complete disregard for sin, that is reason for concern. And the church's role is to do what we see here is to provide a discipline of the Lord to say, hey, that needs to be dealt with because that's not good for you. That's not God's will for you. And if, listen to my words carefully, if there is serious, continual refusal to deal with sin that is clearly revealed in scriptures, not marginal issues, not debatable issues, but very clear issues in scripture. If someone says, I, I, I know it says that and I just don't care, that's a problem. Hear me carefully. There's two types of people. Those who have, those who have a new disposition... The Spirit of God gives them a hatred for sin, and they, they still stumble, and they want help. That's, that's called the Christian life. But then there's a person who says, I don't care. Don't talk to me about that. That's not consistent with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God does not produce that. And our role as a church, as a church family, as people who love them, is to say, hey, that is dangerous. And we are to be, you know, we always say, well, they didn't hit bottom. We want to help them hit bottom earlier. We want to help them see it so that they go, oh, wow, this is serious. They're not letting me partake of the Lord's Supper. Why? Because they really think this is, this is very harmful. This is disobedient. This is not consistent with what the Spirit of God produces. And so it's an act of love. It's an act of mercy. It's an act of grace. It's an act of discipline. It's an act of testing. It's an act of proving and revealing. And that happens all the time. And if we do this as often as we do it, it serves to keep us in a good place. Instead of ignoring it and letting blind spots build up and letting problems fester, it says, hey, let's stay on top of these things. And that's called discipleship. And so he says, listen, that is a very important role of the, the Lord's Supper table is revealing those who are genuine in the faith and those who are not. And so as we take the Lord's Supper, we'll be asking, Lord, what do I need to repent of? Reveal to me the genuineness of my faith. Reveal to me the confessions, uh, the, the genuineness of my confession. So in verse 20, Paul elaborates on what they were doing in particular. He says, when you come together... It's not even the Lord's Supper that you're doing. That's not the Lord's Supper. 
Well, what were they doing? Well, in eat, he says, for in eating, listen to the individualistic language. Each one, his own, one another. He says, when in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. He says, what? What? Are you kidding me? Don't you have houses to eat and drink at? That's not what we're supposed to be doing here. This isn't about just filling your hungry bellies. This isn't about partying and getting drunk. This is about the Lord. And so he's, he's appalled by what he sees going on. Or do you despise the church of God? And then there's this unique aspect about, looks like they were despising or humiliating those who had nothing, the poor, those who didn't have money. Scholars seem to suggest that that back then they didn't have a bunch of large buildings to meet in, and so the way the church would gather would be in the wealthies, the wealthy church members' large homes. And what they seem to have determined is that the wealthy people who had homes were forming their own factions, like they were a little elitist. And they would gather and have the Lord's Supper in the kitchen or in the dining room, and they would let the rest of the lower level people have the Lord's Supper or eat whatever they wanted to do in the rest of the house. Y'all just go up in the living room. I don't care. Help yourselves. But we're going to be up in here eating. And Paul, and Paul says, this is terrible. This isn't, this isn't encouraging unity in Christ. This isn't encouraging the oneness that we share in Christ. This isn't saying, hey, Christ removes the dividing walls of us. This is, in fact, doing the worst. These factions are creating a real divide among you. The, the fracturing of the foundation is happening, and you're only making it worse by the way you act when you gather together. And he says, this is terrible. I'm not going to commend you. Shall I commend you? He says, no, I will not commend you for such behavior. So Paul is really coming down hard on saying, what you're doing not only is not helpful, but it's hurtful. And I'm not going to commend you for it. And so what does Paul do? How does Paul respond to such behavior? He gives us three instructions on how to partake of the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. This is what I hope and pray that we do when we take of the Lord's Supper today and always. And I'm going to use the term remember. He's going to tell us, first of all, remember your Savior as you take the Lord's Supper. I get this in verse... 23 and following he says for i received from the lord what i also delivered to you that the lord on the night when he was betrayed so do you see the scene he's paul saying this is what was passed down to me this is the instructions about the lord's table the lord was sitting around the table with his disciples on the night he was betrayed he's about to go to the cross He knows it's his last supper, as we often refer to it as, the last supper. On the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread from the table. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he held it up and he said, this is my body. He was referring to his body that was about to be broken on the cross. He says, this is my body. Not literally, but think about this. He's going to say, whenever you gather together around the dinner table and you're taken of the Lord's Supper as the body at, at your members meeting or when you gather together this morning and you see the what doesn't look much like bread, it is, he says, remember, this is about my body. 
that my body that was broken, that was bruised, that was smashed, that was bloodied, that was tortured. Why? For you and for me. It was crucified because God demanded a holy, perfect sacrifice. Not just anybody's blood would have would work. It was had to be perfect blood, infinitely holy blood, the blood of the God-man, Jesus Christ. That body had to be pierced for our transgressions. For without the shedding of the blood, there is no forgiveness of sins, Scripture says. And so this, this body, he says, when he had given thanks, he says, this is my body, which is for you. And then notice what he says. Do this in remembrance of me. Those aren't just kind of some formal traditional words that we receive like a cantation. He's saying, remember me. That's what this is all about. It's all about remembering the body of Christ was broken that yours could be healed. Remember your Savior. In the same way, he took the cup after supper saying, this this cup is the new covenant in my blood. What's the new covenant? What's he talking about? Well, in the Old Testament, we see God entered into a covenant with Israel. We call it the Old Covenant. It was the way that Israel could be with God. The people of God could have God in their midst through these laws, through the sacrificial system. And what was the very heart of the sacrificial system? It was the Day of Atonement where an unblemished lamb was sacrificed on behalf of the sins of the people that God and His holiness may dwell among the people and they not be incinerated by His holy wrath. And then Christ came and said, I fulfill that. I am the ultimate unblemished lamb. That had to be done year after year. I am finishing it. It all pointed to Jesus. And Jesus says now a completely new covenant where the Spirit of God fills your heart, where your old hardened heart, like the old hardened tablets of stone of the Ten Commandments, is replaced with a soft heart of faith. The Spirit of God indwells the people of God and writes on their hearts and minds a will and a desire to obey God. This is what's characteristic of the new covenant people of God, is the Spirit of God gives them a desire for holiness. That's why we're able to say, if you don't see that in your life, then this is not for you. Because that is characteristics. That is the distinguishing characteristic of this new covenant. It's the evidence of the Spirit of God and the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And so he says, this blood is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you do it. Remember me. Don't just go through the motions. Don't make it a law that makes you right with God. It's remembering that Jesus is your Savior. And Jesus makes you right with God. And then he says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, he says, here's what you're doing. You are proclaiming. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The Lord's Supper has a way of helping you persevere to the end. That's what we're doing today. We're proclaiming, yes, I'm trusting solely in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And how often will I do this? As long as I have breath until the Lord comes. 
How often do we do it? We try to do it at least quarterly. We've been doing it more recently. There's no legalistic way. There's no law about how often, but we want to do it enough to respect the importance of it, but we don't do it every day to make it such a a habit that we don't appreciate it. As often as we do it, though, here's what we're saying. We're proclaiming our faith is resting solely in the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that makes us right with God. And so when we do this today, remember your Savior. That's what this is all about. Not only are you remembering your Savior, but you also remember your own need. Remember your need. See this verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of Jesus. That's someone who doesn't even examine their own heart. They're just glibly taking it, not respecting it. It's, it's blasphemy. In verse 28, it says, let a person examine himself. And so when we pass the ordinance, we always say, hey, when we pass the elements, we always say, hey, examine your heart. Do business with the Lord. Ask him, Spirit of God, search my heart. Is there any unclean thoughts in me, anything that I need to repent of? Confession just simply means agree with what God has said about that sin. Repentance means to turn away from that. And so we want it to be a time of self-examination and confession and repentance. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And he says, for anyone who eats and drinks without doing that, without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment upon himself. He says, that's why many of you are weak and ill and have even died. Wow. Did you hear what he said? Well, what does that really mean? That's what it means. People got sick and people died. Why? Because the Lord disciplined them. Well, why would he do that? That sounds mean. No, 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 no. Because if he ignored it, it destroys the rest of the body. He says, if, he says in verse 29, For if anyone eats or drinks without discerning the body, and, eats and drinks, he eats and drinks judgment upon himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill, and have some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, if we let this lead us to a time of truly examining ourselves then we will not be judged. So there's a blessing in being confronted with this that we're dealing with it now so that we're not shocked on the day of judgment. Oh, wait, I thought I was in the faith. Tracy, you didn't tell me this. Pastors, you didn't warn me of this. You just turned a blind eye as I lived in sin and now I'm dying a judgment of eternal hell. So you tell me, is it loving to turn a blind eye to sin? No, that's terrible. And so this is a blessing to say, hey, let's confront the cross. Let it reveal areas that we need to do business with the Lord and let us confess the sin that's there and let us repent of that and not ignore it because ignoring it just leads to sickness and death. And so it reveals the true condition of our hearts. And so positively, but when we, if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the Lord. So we want to remember our own need. As we pass the elements around, we're examining our hearts, saying, Lord, help me. I always need the grace and mercy of God. It's not about whether you sin still. It's about your disposition towards that sin. Are you... 
hating that sin, fighting that sin, confessing that sin, asking brothers and sisters for help against that sin, or are you ignoring that and, and rebelling and saying, I don't want to hear anything about it? That's not consistent with what the Spirit does. So we remember your Savior. Savior. Remember your own need, continual need for grace and mercy and forgiveness. Finally, remember your church family as you take the Lord's Supper. He says in verse 33, So then, my brothers, when you come together, eat. When you come together to eat, wait for one another. Just wait. Don't just, don't just, not just about you. This is a body experience. And so, very practically, when we pass the cup, you'll see there's two cups kind of stacked on top of each other. Take, take that one stack and wait. And we'll give instructions later and we'll take it together. But it's not just a physical weight on each other. It's also bear in mind you are a part of the body of Christ by your faith in Christ. And so that leads to a couple of things. Thank God during the time of prayer and reflection as we pass it around. Thank God for, for, for his grace and for the blessing of the church body. Ask God to help you deal with any unforgiveness or any relational problems that have crept up in your, in your relationship with the body of Christ. And so that's the final aspect of the Lord's Supper. Remember your church family as you partake the Lord's Supper. So as I move to the table and prepare, that's what I want, you to, I want to ask you to invite you to do is to start to prepare your heart, move into a spirit of prayer, and just ask the Lord to examine your heart, help you to remember your Savior, remember your need, and to remember each other. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.